if you go out and you syndicate, you've got complete end-to-end control. You decide when you sell, if you want to spend a little bit more on one part of the CapEx and spend a little bit less somewhere else, you can make that call because you've got a lot of high net worth investors. So you control everything end to end. This is the naked truth about real estate investing. Your host, Javier, has already been through all the brain damage of this business. So you don't have to go through it. That way you're not exposed to all of the risk of losing your shirt or getting caught with your pants down. So let's dive into another no BS episode right now. Hello, everybody. Javier Dinojo, your host of the Naked Truth about real estate investing. And today I have Max Charkansky from Miami. I think he's out of LA or they have an office in LA, office in Miami. And I was reading their bio uh, right before when they registered for the podcast and I'm sitting there reading the bio and I'm like, I like stopped when it said $5,000, billion. You know, I'm like, holy smokes. They bought in 2005. They got out in 2008 before the crash. And then they did a lot of they bought distressed loans, uh, multifamily. They made a whole bunch of money in 2008 to 2011. And then they just, last year, they bought like half a billion dollars worth of multifamily. And they got like, they're buying 80, 90, $100 million projects now. Super cool. I don't want to screw it up. So I'll just let, you know, Max kind of introduce himself. But we're going to have a, a great chat today. We're going to talk about, you know, why you vertically integrate, pros and cons of, of multifamily. Uh, we're just going to talk about just in general you know, multifamily and what they're doing and, and uh, how he maybe put structures his deals, right? Syndication versus equity and, uh, you know, private equity coming in and putting money on his project. So we'll just go ahead and launch the episode, launch the interview. So Max. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll try to keep it brief. Yes, that's right. We've got a little under 5,000 doors right now, but we've got about another 1,500 or so in contract. So in the next 45 days or so, call it, you know, by July, will be at 6,000. Portfolio value at that point will be about 1.4, 1.5 billion. And we're continuing to grow where we've got two offices, one in LA, one in Miami. LA covers California, Oregon, Colorado. Miami covers Florida, Georgia, Carolinas. We've been in business since 05, 06. My partner Mitch and I founded the business in 05. We started buying, we bought our first two properties in 05, we continued buying in 06. And then in 06, I left my company. I was at Marcus. He was at HFF and we started the shop in October of 2006. And from there, we've been rolling. We assembled a small portfolio in that cycle. We were fortunate to have good timing. We sold it prior to the GFC. And during the GFC, we were buying primarily non-performing debt secured by multifamily as well as multifamily REOs. And coming out of the GFC, we went back to the value add business. So Every year, you know, call it, you know, 2012, 2013, coming out of the GFC, we've just been growing geographically and growing our average deal size. You know, back then we were probably doing 3 million, 5 million, 8 million, 10 million. Now we're doing 90s and hundreds. So our average right now we're doing, so last year was our best year ever. We did about half a billion in acquisitions. This year we're tracking to get to a billion. That's awesome, Max. So tell everybody what GFC means. So oh, to, I'm sorry uh, about that. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Not I, everybody knows that. I, I know. I'm assuming great financial crisis. I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you call it? Yeah, that's right. You're close. You're close. Whatever, you're close. Right? Yeah. Global financial crisis. There that's go, right. right. Okay. And um, yeah, so so this is very interesting to me. 2005, you and your partner you started buying multifamily or started buying real estate and then you guys exited right before. So did you guys just get lucky or did you see the trend or or what happened? You guys exited what? 2008, 2007, 2007? Eight, eight. We sold in 08. We actually had a couple properties trickle into first quarter of 09. But one of them in 2009, we had increased the NOI so much that we actually 
sold it at a profit. Wow. Even though cap rates went from like, you know, kind of like low to mid fives to like six and a half, we sold it like a six and a half cap and we still made money on it. And then, yeah, you know, we saw a trend. We saw rents were starting to come down. Vacancies were creeping up. We really started to see it in 2007 because we made the decision in early 2008 to start selling because in 2007, all the subprime lenders started to fold. And the capital markets really started to shift. BP's buyers were no longer buying B pieces. For those of you out there who don't know what a B piece is, that's the bottom part of a loan that's very high yielding. There's a huge market for that. And the capital markets had become so aggressive. These loans were just so nuts that the B piece markets started to collapse. Um, CMBS markets were not flowing well. And we saw the writing on the wall. So we started to sell. Well, that's great. So 2008, 2009, 2010 hit. And you guys started buying, you had some cash. So banks were still loaning back then if you had cash, right? If you weren't strapped, you weren't over leveraged. So we were actually buying the loans from the banks. So what would happen is we would call banks. We would call brokers also who, who were talking to banks. And we would, we would see what loans were in default. And we would say, hey, what's going on with this loan? Can we buy it? And you know they love that. They love us because they didn't have to deal with the workout. And they would prefer, a bank prefers not to go REO. They do not want to foreclose. Again, REO means real estate owned by lender. So REO means it's already a foreclosure. And a bank much prefers to sell the note at a discount than to actually process the foreclosure, hire a broker, sell the property. They'd rather just get it off their books. So if let's say, for example, in 2006, seven, a property was sold for $10 million, the loan was seven. The property was worth five. They would sell it to us for like three and a half. Yeah, that's nice. And then there was a lot of that. Yeah, for we sure. We would that. then process the foreclosure. And, and there were actually a few that we were able to work out. You know, like there was one at the very end as the economy started to recover in 2012. We bought a portfolio of notes from Chase. And it was about $9 million in notes par value that we bought for $5 million. So the people that bought it paid, you know, like 14 for it. And as soon as we closed, I called the borrower and I said, Hey, my name is Max. I'm going to try on properties. We're the new, we're your new lender. We'd like to work out something amicable. And, you know, we don't want to necessarily go through a foreclosure process, but maybe we'll do a cash for keys, let you off the recourse. She says, I don't know what you're talking about. We're under app to refi you out. So even though we paid like five and something million dollars, they were paying us off $8 million in 90 days. Oh, that's a nice quick flip right there for sure. That's nice. We never had to own real estate. Yep. All we owned was the paper. Yeah. So yeah, I heard a few people did that in 2008, 2009. Like, okay, right. You know, let's, let's, you know, buy some, you know, non-performing uh, loans. And uh, a lot of them were brokering to other people. They were selling them. There, were, there could be two, three people in between. And there was definitely... There's another crash like that, you know, folks like you, things like, you know, you already know what other markets are there, other ways to make money. But let me ask you this question. Did you guys keep some of these properties? Did you go foreclose on some of these? Did you keep some of these? No, because we were buying heavily distressed real estate and a lot of it was small, right? It was in that like two to $10 million range. So we were, and we were buying it 50% vacant, horrible shape, code violations, we, and we had our own crew. So we were actually able to outbid a lot of the finance people who got into that business, people who left like real estate, private equity shops and stuff like that, who would just try to buy, foreclose, sell because we would buy, foreclose 
renovate, do the lease up, and then sell it. That okay. was our model. Okay, perfect. That's great. So you must have seen some stupid numbers on these on price per door, right? Back in the you know early you know teens, and so I see the transition and going. After the REOs, you went to start value add, right? Just you wanted to buy some value add because you still, I'm assuming you didn't want to overpay for any of these projects, trying to get as much value bang for your buck. So tell That's me right. how that transition went because having these super cheap price per door to like now. Oh, well, look, you can't fight the market, right? The market is what it is. So for example, we stopped buying NPLs and REOs, NPL and non-performing loan, because they cleared the market. There wasn't anything left to buy. And we just went back to the value add business. And of course, yeah, rents kept going up, cap rates kept going down, but you ride the wave and there's always a way to create value. There's always a way to find value. And to this day, even in this market, we're finding value. Yeah, for sure. Right. It's still, there's still some projects out there. You got some good connections, good networking, good deal flow. There's still some projects out there. People say, Hey, there's no, there's no deals. I'm like, yeah, there's still some projects. You got to keep definitely still got to keep looking, you know, you just got to keep there. Yeah. There are bad operators in every market, right? You buy from the bad operators, you increase the NOI, you increase the value of the property. And as long as you're not overpaying them, you'll be fine. Yep. So let's talk about uh, the pros and cons of multifamily investment. Just in general, some pros and cons. Um, It's definitely, I think passive is a horrible word in real estate. People think they're going to make passive income through the business it's definitely a hands-on business. It's a management business. Uh, passive, you want passive income, go buy a Walgreens. But the multifamily business is, to, for it to be done at its best, and for, you know, especially for a group like ours, we're owner-operators, we're buying from people who do think it's a passive business, which it isn't. And we're active, aggressive operators. We're doing heavy renovations. We're keeping the asset clean, strong leasing, strong marketing, and we're really optimizing that operating income. And you guys also, um, you guys are vertically uh, integrated? We are. We are. We do not outsource our property management. We insource. We've got a full operations team in LA and Miami. We have a construction management team in, in LA and we're b- building one out in Miami. So yes, we're vertical. That's yeah, the so, best. You know, I agree. I know some people have gone vertical and hate it. Some people have gone vertical and they love it. But I still catch myself, even with my team now, we don't have like in-house property management, but we just manage the property manager. It's like we're doing their work for them sometimes. Like, man, we're doing all this work and we're paying this fee. We might as well just have our own team and do it ourselves, right? We just had a meeting yesterday. Say, hey, so we're we're at we're like at twelve hundred rent. Like, what can we get? You know, we've got some new units coming up. What do you recommend? Oh, just lease them up at twelve hundred. I'm like, I tell my CEO, I say, hey, why don't you call across the street, a couple of different places, see what they're they're like at thirteen twenty five. 1275. Yeah. I'm like, they're leaving a hundred bucks on the table because they're just like, ah, just lease them up at, you know, 1200 bucks. Like, no, let's push this right anyway. So, what are your thoughts on that as far as like the vertical integration? That was our experience in the early days, right? Like, when I was still working in my old shop and my partner was working in his old shop, we would hire management companies and they just, you know, and I don't, I say this, I don't want to disparage anyone with all due respect. There are some good ones out there, but there are some, there are a lot of bad ones and they just, because, it's not theirs, you know. They're a lot of the times they are kind of passively managing it. And they're not increasing rents. They're not. They're not driving value. They're not watching their expenses and costs. So it's just yeah. it's not the same. I mean, if you think about it, it's really the only industry where you're outsourcing your operations. In what other business do you hire outside operations? It doesn't make sense. That's true. That that's definitely true, right? It's like uh, if you have a uh, 
restoration business, right? I mean, who does your operations, right? You got your operations manager, you got your project manager, you got everything in house, right? That's definitely technology, restaurant, yeah. anything, any, yeah. any business. You just don't outsource your operations. Yeah. That's definitely key. Awesome. That's the first time I hear you don't outsource your operations. So that's good, Max. That, that's really good. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like your structure, right? You guys are buying these hundred million dollar deals. I mean, how are you, how are you structuring like your, your capital stack? You know, you got a list of investors. Um, I mean, how do you guys structure these projects? We're typically financing at about 70 to 75% debt. So we're 70, 75% loan to cost, right? So we're having the lender also help us out with the improvements. And for the equity, we're either going syndication or institutional. Our preferred avenue is uh, a syndication. We like our high net worth investors and to have them all participate. But we're very, very active, especially since we opened this second office in Miami. And we can only go back to the well so many times and we are actively growing our investor base. We crossed a thousand investors last year. So we've got over a thousand active investors and we're trying to get that into the thousands so that we could do all of our deals through syndications. But the fact of the matter is we can't do that right now. And we have some phenomenal institutional partners. They're great partners and we will continue to work with them over the years as we grow. So yeah. So right now I'd say we're doing about 50, 50 high net worth syndication or accredited investor syndication to institutional. And that number is always balancing. Some, that, some years we're doing more JVs, some years we're doing more um, syndications. Okay. So, so when you do a JV, you have, uh, that's more of an institutional. Correct. Yeah. yeah. All right. So just kind of give us a, tell us a difference, right? Between uh, the syndication and JV with an institution that comes in and puts the majority of the of the capital, because some, someone put 100% of the equity, right? They might say, hey, we'll give you 90 and you put it, you bring in 10% or whatever, you right. Structure, right? So what is the main difference that, that you found? And I'm sure they both, they'll both work fine, but like, what is the main difference? The main difference is control. So of course, if somebody is putting up all of the money, they're going to want to have control over the major decision. So like we're doing day-to-day, and when you close the deal, you have a plan in place, you have a budget, and our job is to go execute based on everything we've already discussed. What's the business plan? What's the budget? What are the rents? Go execute, right? So if there's not really much wiggle room either. So if we want to call an audible and change some things, which happens more often than not, then you have to go to back to them. You have to get their approval. And it's kind of a process. You know, you're in a way, you're kind of their employee. You're working for them because it's all their money, right? But if you go out and you syndicate, you've got complete end-to-end control. You decide when you refi, you decide when you sell. If you want to spend a little bit more on on uh, one part of the CapEx and spend a little bit less somewhere else, you can make that call. And because you've got a lot of high net worth investors, so you control everything end-to-end. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great explanation. I mean, it definitely makes sense. And I'm sure it's just the right spot for, for um, syndication and JV, JV as well. So- so just bring me to my next question, Max. So what, what do you focus on in your company or what's your ninja skill? What do you enjoy doing? Oh man, at this point, I just run the company, right? Everybody just reports up to me. I mean, I spend a lot of time, of course, buying, but the acquisition guys, they find the deals or working on deals. And I'm involved in that because that's a very just involved process. You know, buying real estate is very, very involved, especially when you're using outside capital, debt, equity, running all the DD and everyone's doing that, but you know, I got to stay pretty involved in that. I stay pretty involved with the construction, with the operations and, but we've got teams for everything. 
So I talk to all the guys on a pretty consistent basis, guys and gals, and make sure everything is being done on budget, on time, and it's being done well. All right. So here, here's my next question, right? What do you enjoy the least? Or what did you like doing? I enjoy all of it. Honestly, I can't say even accounting. I enjoy because I have a little bit of an accounting background. I had a minor in accounting coming out of college. So when my partner and I started the business, naturally, I was overseeing accounting. So I do like every facet of the business. I do have some weaknesses, I would say. Like, I'm not the best at construction. You know, like to this day, people throw around words when I'm at a job site and I have no idea what they're talking about, even though I I nod my head. Like, I do know what they're talking about. And then I'll just ask one of the guys, one of the CM guys, what the exact construction is because it's just, you know, it's construction's construction and finance is finance. It's two completely different businesses. (laughs) All all right, for sure. So here's the cats out of the bag here. So I've been trying to keep the secret for a while, but uh, I, I don't like construction either. I think, man, some people know already, I don't like construction. But I do have a general contractor license, unlimited, right? So I can build a skyscraper if I want. And right. I, I do not like construction. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like the worst, just for right. me, right? It's like, I just don't like it. I expect when, when somebody, hey, this is your job for you to go do it. Like, then I got to go, you know, well, not really check, but, you know, just the, the construction process, right? So I definitely outsource that or have somebody else in the team handle that, that enjoys it. But I definitely don't like the construction side. It's just, it's a different animal, you know? It's you a know? completely different animal, but I love to see the result. Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Definitely like to see how pretty it looks. And then oh, uh, it looks I, be- beautiful. I tell the team, hey, guys, your, your number one job is to make me look good. So make me look good. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Design and construction is awesome in that sense. All right. So social media, uh, we got you on uh, Twitter and it'll be in the, on the show notes below. We also have tryonproperties.com and it's T-R-I-O-N properties.com. So I just registered on your website so I can get your, your deals. Um, I get some more information, your newsletters, and I saw, something, I saw something pop up. You guys had a 77% IRR exit. Can you we did. Me? Talk to me about that. In April 2020, everybody went pencils down. They were freaking out. Nobody was buying anything. The sky was falling. Prices were falling too. And capital markets were in flux. So during that period, from April through, I would say, October, November 2020, we just kept buying. And we bought a lot of smoking deals and we're cycling some of them out right now. So that one was a 77. We've got another one we're about to sell. That's going to be like a 75. We've got some other ones that are going to be forties and fifties because we took advantage of the COVID discount window. That's awesome. Cause yeah, you know what? In April from May to uh, October, November of 2020 is when I bought my bulk of my portfolio. Fantastic. Everybody was not buying. So everything's three X basically right now. Like Whatever price I was at, I'm, I'm already three times more than in what it's worth because I bought in 2020 and when everybody, like you said, everybody's like, okay, you just got better deals. Like, okay, great. The market's going to change. Well, let's just get a better deal. What's the worst case scenario? It drops by 20, 30%. Okay, well, let's get it even cheaper, right? At a better project. So that is awesome. That's exactly right. That's that exactly awesome. right. I mean, if you bought all those units in 2020, that's like life-changing kind of profit. You know, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. So awesome. So tryonproperties.com. I just registered on your site. So I'll be getting your, your newsletters and your emails and all your cool offerings that you got coming out. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the ones that you guys come out in. Uh, so you got some in South Florida coming up. Definitely uh, interested to see what you guys got going on. Definitely. Uh, besides Twitter or uh, Try on Properties, any other way someone can get a hold of you? You can email me and I'll copy you in with the IR team if you're interested in investing. My email is max at tryonproperties.com. All right, max at triumphproperties.com, T-R-I-O-N.
All right, Max. Um, this brings me to my favorite part of the show. <laughs> right? Okay. So okay. The, the naked truth roulette. I'm going to ask you three random questions. It's got nothing to do with uh, investing. And trust me, these questions, you're not going to lose any investors either. Okay. Actually, you're going to gain more because they're going to realize that Max is not a robot. He's a human being. And uh, just like just like all the listeners out there, we're all, we're all the same. We just, of course, you know, we just we just hang out with different people, and we just have a different role. So, I'm gonna ask you three random questions. Maybe there might be one one question in here might be a little challenging, but we'll see what happens. Let's go. All right, let's see. What is the first question? All right, if you can pick another time to live, what would it be? Either the future or the past. When would it be? The future. Right. You never know what the future has in store. I mean, uh, technology and everything that's happening right now, everything changes so fast. So what would you um, say? 100 years, 500 years, what would you say? 1,000? Probably 40 years. So I can have somewhat, because if you go too far out, you're not going to have a benchmark relative to how things are right now. So if you go like 40, 50 years, I can compare. It's a real comparison. Okay. That's fair enough. Okay. 40 years. All right. Let's go with the second question. Max, you married? I am. Got kids? Oh, I'm going to like Two this kids. One. Two boys. All right. All right. So if you could take any celebrity on a date, who would it be? <laughs> Dead or alive? Uh, probably, you know, what was that model's name? Emily Bratichowski? Bratichowski? Yes, for sure. I can't pronounce her name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. That's good. You, you answered that question. That's awesome. All right. All right. My Third question. Knows. Okay. Good. Good. That's good. That's definitely good. <laughs> All right. Third question for you. And I put that question in there like five times because I want to get it every time. Sometimes I don't. Oh, do you have any tattoos? I do not. Do not have any tattoos. You and I no. are the same. I don't have any tattoos. I'm 43 years old. When I was like 20, I said, I'm going to get a tattoo. I got in line and then it was too long and I just left. And like every five years, I think oh, about wow. a tattoo. And I just, just something else comes up and I just never get one. So at this yeah. point, yeah, I about it. it's something yeah, you do when you're young and not thinking clearly. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I don't have a tattoo either. So Max, thank you so much for answering the questions and surviving the naked truth. Roulette. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, perfect. Hey, um, anything else you'd like to add uh, to the audience? Anything we left out or anything you got coming up? I don't know if you're doing events or uh, if you guys have webinars or, or anything that you guys got coming up. We actually have a webinar no, because by the time this launches, it's going to be done. But not right now. No, go online, subscribe to our email list. You'll get a lot of our educational pieces where you learn about investing and our thoughts on the market. And I think uh, that's a good place to start. Perfect. So when is your webinar, by the way? When is it? How, how many days from now? In a couple hours. Oh, in a couple hours. Okay, great. Because this comes yeah. out pretty quickly. So, but okay. sign, up, uh, sign up on the, uh, on the email and if you got any webinars, any educational, any, any, any newsletters, you guys will get them. Max, thanks again for uh, being on the show. I am Javier, your host. Don't lose your shirt. Just as promised, I like to give out free stuff, some tools and tips that's actually helped me in my business. There's nothing out there like getting some free stuff that people have spent a lot of time, energy in putting together. It's like a referral. Somebody asked me for an electrician. You don't know what kind of brain damage I had to go through to give you this good referral for an electrician. You got to appreciate referrals from people, okay? Because they went through a lot to find that one good person. So I'm going to give you my due diligence template for buying apartment buildings. It's attached to monday.com. It is an affiliate link, so they're going to send me a kickback. Not a lot, but a little bit. 
but you can either download it as an Excel or you can put it on monday.com. Monday.com is pretty cool because it's a project management platform software. It's super cool. I use it all the time for my social media, for my team, tracking deals, doing tasks for everybody. It's, uh, it's actually pretty good. You can track construction. It's a project management platform. It's a really cool Monday, like the day, monday.com. So my due diligence checklist is there for free for you. This has been The Naked Truth. Our mission is to give it to you raw. If you got value from this episode, you're invited to leave an honest written review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.